get this out of my runway so I don't crash into it. You will recognize this scripture as one that is usually read Palm Sunday, but since we are in the series called Reading the Red and we are taking the words of Jesus one after another, um, we have it today. There are three things that I would like for you to know about this scripture. This is an exciting scripture. You're going to love this. You're going to be glad you came today. One is his historical context. We as Americans have a tough time thinking that there may have been a parade that had not been noticed by everybody in the city. But I want you to know that this particular demonstration did not draw the attention of many people. So therefore, what was done on a level of man was not very noticed on a level of man. Now, there are are several reasons why I say that. First of all, for those of you who do not have a a background in this, there was but one temple in all of Israel, and that was in Jerusalem. And it was very much uh, expected that at some time in your life, you would make a pilgrimage to worship at the temple. And so therefore, people from all all over Jerusalem were constantly coming in, especially at Passover time, to make that pilgrimage. Now, when you went to the temple, you wouldn't go out of your hometown all alone. You would take your family with you. You would take your neighbors with you. The traveling would be easier. It would be safer. It would be simpler. All of you could go and you could celebrate and worship together. And so, therefore, Jerusalem was very used to having large groups of people come into it. The second reason I say that is because the eastern people, as you may have noticed if you have ever been to the Middle East, or you know somebody from the Middle East, or you have watched news clips from the Middle East, are demonstrative people. They are emotional, and they don't mind showing their emotions. Westerners are a little bit more from the Greek line. They're a little bit, uh, they think, and they're a little bit more cautious about uh, showing their emotions. But Eastern people... um, are very, very emotional. So therefore, when they got to Jerusalem, guess what there was? There was a great celebration. Ah, they dance in, you know. And, you know, we, we're here. We're here. And so therefore, every group that came to Jerusalem practically was a demonstration. And they would all parade in. Third, I don't think it was a very big demonstration. Because had it been a significant demonstration with a significant crowd of people proclaiming Jesus as the king, he would have immediately been arrested. Because the government was very insecure. There were many who would come and revolt against the government. And therefore, if there had been a large group of people it would have been interrupted. So what am I saying? I'm saying that we have a demonstration here that's not very loud, that's not very remarkable, that is only seen through certain eyes. Now, that's tough for us as Americans 
because we think of a parade as a, as a, everybody comes out. Did you used to have parades when you were a little, when your hometown, have a little, <laughs> didn't everybody come out and say, oh, look at Johnny, you know, and he'd have crepe paper on his bike and his dog would be running alongside him and stuff. And, you know, the little guys in the hats with the motorcycles and all that kind of stuff. And, and the veterans walking along and, and it was, it was neat. Everybody turned out. I mean, it was the thing to do in Shelby, Ohio. When you had a parade, my dad still, every Memorial Day, he's, he goes and, and stands and in the tears, you know, come, I mean, it's a thing, see? And in America, we blow up everything, even when it's little. We hype everything. Beck took the kids to uh, the circus yesterday, and, uh, and I didn't go, but they told me about it when they, when they got back. And, and of course, this is, this is uh, Gunther Gables, uh, Williams' last thing, see? And they said, <laughs> every Every 10 minutes, this guy was riding something around, and the guy would go, Gunther Gable Williams! And he'd ride elephants around, you know, and the things would come up from here, say Gunther, and things would come down from here, say Gunther, you know, and he'd go like that, see? And then he'd ride the elephants off, and then he'd be gone. And then 10 minutes later, Gunther Gable Williams! And he'd ride horses through, and he'd go, you know, you know, and the signs would come up, and the signs would go down, you know. And it's just, you know, I'd like to, by the way, find that guy out on the street sometime and say, can you talk just like this? I mean, we would still get the message. He'd probably go, no, I can't. He probably talks like that ordinarily, I bet. But anyhow, as Americans, we tend to hype everything. Well, this is not a circus atmosphere back here. I mean, I mean, we tend to, we tend to, take little things and try to make more of them. You know, everything is a death-defying act. That's what Josh says. He said, every act was a death-defying act with a belt and a cable on it, you know. Um, it just, we, we tend just to try to make more. Well, this was not much of a demonstration. And the, the last reason I think that it was not much of a demonstration is because it was totally opposite of Jesus' usual character. This is the only place in Scripture where he really allows himself to be proclaimed as a king. All of the rest of Scripture, he is a servant. He is a teacher, sometimes of multitude, sometimes of a few. But he doesn't want the role of kingship. Why then? Why then would he take it on? He did it to fulfill Scripture. Now this is the second part of this that I want to talk to you about. It is so important for us to study Scripture. Do you know why? Because it allows us to see what God is doing in the world now. It's not a record of the past of what God has done. It's not only a record of what God has done in the past. It is not only a record of what God is going to do in the future. Those people who knew Zechariah 9.9 looked at that event and they knew exactly what was going on right then. The rest of the people who didn't know the scripture didn't know. Scripture is a window to God's present activity. And if we don't know the scripture, we will not be aware of what God is doing right now. Scripture is your, it's spiritual eyeglasses to focus on what God is doing now. That is so different than how we usually use scripture. We memorize scripture, we devise little theologies with scripture. 
That's not what Scripture's for. Uh, Becky read me a story the other night that told about a couple who had picked up visitors and they lived in Vermont and this was their visitors first time in, in Vermont and it happened to be dark when they picked them up and and they were so frustrated because the scenery was so beautiful coming home from the airport so the host tried to describe the scenery and she said well if it were light right now you could look out this window and you could see the beautiful Adirondack Mountains over Lake Champlain and the guest in the back seat pressed her face toward the window and said, oh, how theoretically beautiful, you know? Well, when we, when we read Scripture, many times we say, oh, how theoretically beautiful. If only I could live like that. If only the world were like that. And isn't it wonderful God once acted like that? You're missing the point of Scripture. The point of Scripture is to allow us to see what God is doing now. And when we read Scripture, slowly our eyes come to be focused on spiritual events and we can recognize His activity. That's why God has given us Scripture, among other reasons. But that is how it can be used, that we very seldom use it. Now, what what are we talking about here? Are we talking about simply seeing a godly man ride in on a donkey to fulfill Scripture and therefore they somehow knew? No, there's all kinds of witnesses that we are not usually aware of because we have not become sensitized to them. And that's the last part of this that I want you to, that I want you to understand. Let's just read this. This is fascinating to me. From verse 39, where they are shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, remember that, I'll come back to that, and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said, I tell you, if these became silent, the stones will cry out. Now there are, there are three witnesses to the glory of God. One is an earthly witness. It is in the composition of how we are made. The next is a human witness. It is in the composition of how we respond. And the third is a heavenly witness. It is in the composition of how the activity in the heavens go according to how we respond. Now, some of you I know have never heard this before, so listen carefully. We'll take the stones crying out first. We'll take the earthly witness first. God has so patterned himself in this world that in a very general sense, all of us can pick up his existence. Romans 1.20 says what? Well, let's read it. <clears throat> Romans 1.20 says God made it evident to them he's talking about he's talking well let me start from uh, verse 18 for the wrath of God is revealed um, from heaven against all ungodliness 
unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. God has put in every person, we're going to talk about this in just a minute, a witness. There is no person that ever lived who did not have some inkling that there's a God. For God made it evident to them, now watch how he makes it evident, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, here it goes, being understood through what has been made. God has created a world that speaks if we have ears to hear. In his nature, in his in the very fabric of how we're made. If you turn back to Genesis 4:10, it says this. I'll read it to you if you haven't got. Right, we're going to be doing a lot of flipping here. Then the Lord said to Cain, "Now this is where Cain killed Abel." The Lord said to Cain, <clears throat> uh, "Where's Abel, your brother?" Notice how God always asks questions He knows the answer to. <laughs> it's not for His information; it's for our information that He wants us. Um, and, and he said well I do not know am I my brother's keeper let me pause just here and, and say to you you may not always be your brother's keeper but you are always to be your brother's brother that is real important to remember and he said God said what have you done The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the what? The ground. See, the earth can speak. Um, If you turn to, I love this. I love this. Psalm 19, the first few verses of Psalm 19 says this. The heavens, now it's not talking about the heavenly beings, it's talking about the heavenly bodies. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. That's a present tense. They are right now telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech. The planets, the heavenly bodies are speaking. And night to night reveals knowledge. Yet, there is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. God's creation is a witness to His existence. The only thing that stands in the way of us receiving that knowledge is the ears to hear. When Jesus said, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out, he meant literally. I talked with a guy this this week who had been to the Holy Land. He said, there is nothing more evident over there than the stones in the ground. There is nothing more plentiful than rocky ground. He said, you can't plow an inch without running into a rock. It's all stones. How would stones cry out? Stones are the most mute things that ever lived. How would they cry out? Would they develop little mouths and go, Jesus, Lord. Would they do that? No. 
However, however, we have come along. I am so excited about scientific advancement. I am so excited about the study of physics. Because I believe that with the study of physics and with the biological advances, we will learn the intricacies of the patterns of how the universe is made. And we cannot hold even the ignorant assumption that it all came together by chance. I mean, the more we discover about the universe, the less that will be an option for any thinking person. But anyhow, you know, it used to be that the atom was the smallest particle. When, when I was a, what's the, small, what's the smallest unit of, of, of creation? The atom, see? They have so now um, um, investigated the properties of matter that they have discovered a quark. Now, to tell you how small this thing is, I think I may have told you before, I can't, I'm getting old, I can't remember who I've told what. Tell you how small this thing is, an atom is to our solar system as a quark is to an atom. That's how small it is. What's a quark made of? What is the very ground of being? What is the smallest possible unit? A string, a superstring, they call it. It's not a solid thing. It's a string. And the string vibrates. Now, when you have vibration, what do you have? Sound. If we had ears to hear, we could literally hear the rocks. You see, the farther science goes, the more we learn about God's world, the more will become evident to the biblically educated ear of God's praise, of His glory, of His overwhelming sovereignty. Look at the moral fabric of man. One of the greatest philosophers that ever lived, Immanuel Kant observed what he called a moral imperative. That is to say, in every culture, in every people, at every time, in every place, every person who has ever lived has exhibited, with, with any development at all, has exhibited a sense of right and wrong. There is a moral imperative in every living human being. Now, if there is no God, how do people who have not even heard of a God have a sense of right and wrong? How did it get there? All of science is based upon the assumption that the world is made in patterns that can be discovered, that are stable, that it is not chaos but that it has an intricate pattern to it. History is seen to have cycles. One of the brightest books I've read in recent time has been Arthur Schlesinger's 
cycles in American history. And he just runs that thing and says every 30 years there is another repeat. It's not that we don't make progress. We do make progress. We have new understandings. But every 30 years, the, the, the population of the United States goes into basically the same cycle it was in three year, or 30 years ago. Cycles in American history. And I'm not saying that, that that proves the existence of God. All I'm saying is that there is a rhythm observable in entire civilizations. Where does it come from? Carl Gustav Jung was one of the most brilliant psychologists that ever lived. And he violently disagreed with Freud when Freud said, all there is is an individual unconsciousness. Jung said, no. I have observed in all of my patients a pattern that I will term a collective unconscious a race unconscious. They all have a connection in their psyche that I cannot explain. I hear the same thing over and over again. No matter how they've been raised, no matter who they've come from, there is something there that all of them, there's a sense of connectedness that all of them have. You see, in civilizations, in individuals, in matter, in in every kind of fact, Darwin said, you know, but you never thought you'd hear me quote Darwin in a sermon. Darwin said, unless one looks beyond the fact, one hardly sees the fact. Unless you can look at all of these patterns and say, somebody's talking to me. Somebody's organized this thing. <laughs> Something's behind it all. You've hardly seen the facts. And so God's creation speaks out for him. And when you have read scripture, you are given ears to understand. He who has ears, let him hear. And you're given eyes to see. I once was blind. <laughs> Now I see. So there is, there's a witness. Now, when we proclaim Jesus Lord of creation, as we just did, what we are saying is that someday all of creation will find the consummate purpose end in Jesus Christ. But that's not all. There is also a heavenly host Let's read some scripture. There is, look at, the, look at the Luke 19 verse again, and it says this. This is what they were yelling when Jesus was coming down the street. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, when Jesus was born, it was peace where? On earth. Peace on earth and glory in the highest. Now, all of a sudden, when we proclaim him king, it's peace on, in heaven. What happened? Why would he say that? The Greek word that he uses for that is irene, and it means 
to line something up so that it's straight and there are no bumps in it. It means to have um, soft and harmonious relationships. It means to have order and wholeness. In other words, when the stones and the people declare heaven or declare Jesus Christ as king, it lines up with heaven what, what heaven already knows. Now this is what you need to remember. You are not just the audience of God. There is an amphitheater that surrounds this earth that has an audience and you are the players. Let me, let me just share with you a few scriptures. First of all, in Revelation, Revelation 12, 10, it says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. You're always, always seen by Satan. And he is always, always presenting the worst case to God for you. And they overcame him. He's talking about people now who were dedicated to Jesus Christ, who had proclaimed him king of their life. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, Christ's sacrifice for us, because of the word of their testimony, what they were speaking, and because they did not love their life even unto death. They were ready to die for him. He was truly king of their life. For this reason, now listen to this, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. You see, God has a host of people who are watching you every second. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, you don't have to make a big splash on this earth to be noticed. You are noticed every second. You don't have to have people acclaim that what you're doing is noticed by society. You are being noticed. Turn to Job just for a second. Look at this. First and second chapter both. First chapter verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God, that is all the heavenly beings, came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered to the Lord, well, from roaming about on the earth and walking, it around, or walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, um, have you considered my servant Job? Look at the second chapter. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And then Satan answered the Lord, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? In other words, you are being watched. 
there is a wager on for you. There's a wager on. And there are heavenly beings who want to see you go one way, and there are heavenly beings who want to see you go another way. If, if, if you turn to the most familiar scripture, it's Ephesians 6. And it says this, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. Now, there are world forces. And it's what we all have in common. I mean, there are fleshly desires. There are things that will surely lead us astray if we let them get a hold of us. But also, listen to this, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You are being watched. And what you do not only has an impact on your life, not only has an impact on the people who love you, it has an impact on heaven. On all of the cosmos who witnesses what is happening with your life, it has an impact on heaven. You matter. And you matter much more than you have ever realized. Because what happens in heaven depends on how you respond to Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you this. The one thing, you can, you can sit there and say, oh golly, it's a lot of responsibility. What do I do? i tell you what you do. One little word shall fell them, the, 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 um, the old hymn goes. You proclaim Jesus is the king of your life. And you can hear, in the silence of your heart, you proclaim that thunder will roll all over heaven. And I don't care whether or not you've believed in him as the Christ before, you proclaim him king. And you put your life down before him. That's what, that's what happened with the garments. That's what a garment is symbolic of. A garment is symbolic of what I am and what I have. And you put that garment down in front of him and you start a victory that will end up in perfection. I don't care if you've had a tough time living the Christian life all your life. Well, I do. But I mean, that's not the point. The point is that life is terribly difficult to get together. But without Jesus, it's impossible to get together. Without proclaiming Him King, it's impossible to get together. It will never come together. I don't care what you do. I don't care what resources you have. If Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life, you'll never get it together. It's that simple. And a lot of people have to come to the end of their ropes. I did. A lot of people have to fall flat on their face before they ever come to the point where they say, I can't do this. It's exactly what happened to me. Let me save you some time. <laughs> right now, proclaim him king. When I was a young pastor, I used to love to, I had a congregation of older people. 
And I love older people. I tell you what, I learn so much. I love to listen to older people. I love to ask questions about how it was when they were kids. I, I just, I'm just fascinated by the stories. I'm, I, I love it. And there was an old guy in the, in the hospital, Arthur Nordhorn. Nordy, we called him. And he was in there a long time. And I'd go up and just sit by his bed and I'd say, you know, just like a little kid, Nordy, tell me a story about when you were a boy. You know, what'd you do? And uh, Nordy thought one day and he said, oh, let me ask you a question. He said, do they still have puzzles in cereal boxes nowadays? And I said, yeah, they do. Matter of fact. He said, well, when I was a boy, they had them in soap boxes. And, and you could send away for um, a puzzle, or sometimes they actually had them in the box. And I can remember getting a puzzle out of this soap box. It had lots of little pieces to it. And I opened up, and I tried to put that thing together. And he said, now, I was really good at puzzles. I had never met a puzzle that I couldn't figure out. I was really, really, really good at puzzles. But I put that thing together and put that thing together and tried to put that thing together and, try, and it wouldn't come together. I tried every way under the sun to get that thing together and I could not get it to come together. And finally, I just gave up. I wrote them and I said, send me <laughs> the directions on how to get this puzzle together. And they sent me very simple instructions. They said, you find this piece, and you find that piece, and you put those two pieces together first, and the rest of it is easy. It will all come together. The instructions read, however, if you try to put the pieces together in any other sequential combination, it's impossible. What do you got to do to get a life together? You get the Jesus part, and you get the me part, and you put that together first. And eventually, the rest of it will come. Any other sequential combination will result in frustration. Would you pray with me? Lord, Jesus, be king. Be king in our life. Be king in my life. And with any particular problem I have, help me to get with you first and then to try to work out the puzzle. Remind me every day that I am to line up with who heaven knows you are and who earth says you are, and then there will be peace in my heart, in the heavens, and on the earth. Thank you for agreeing to come together with me by faith, I love you. We all pray that prayer who pray it in faith. Help us to love you first. And then give us ears to hear and eyes to see 
the work that you are doing now in this world and in the lives of the people we love and in our own lives. We lift you up. 